I'm already going to give you guys a teaser. We've got two incredible deep sky objects visible this week. When I say incredible, I mean like really beautiful, brilliant um, objects. And so if you want to run out and grab a pair of binoculars, I highly recommend you go ahead and do that before January 15th and 17th. And not sponsored by Sky Safari Plus. I just really like the app. So that is January 11th. Also on January 11th, you have an asteroid that is in conjunction with the sun. Asteroid Juno. This is happening at about 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, as I mentioned, Joe Athens, um, which is a platform I have created for all things space. You are listening to Space Talk, and today is the first of the week. This is Monday, January 10th. And if you listen to this podcast before, you know that we always love to kick off the week talking about all the different space events that are happening that you can catch in your night sky, both in the northern and southern hemisphere. We also like to include space history, as well as astronomy word or term of the week. And of course, finally, the moon phase, but I like to consider that part of must-see celestial events. Now... What's up, everyone? Hello, how you doing? Happy Monday. My name is Athena Brentsberger. You probably already know me by now. I also go by the name of Aster. This would be so awesome for you guys to catch if you're in the Southern Hemisphere because it rises starting at 45 degrees above your eastern horizon, already way above what the North Hemisphere could see. So looking over your eastern horizon, Starting at about 9.54 p.m., Sky Safari Plus is really good, especially if you have a telescope that asks you to put in right ascension and declination, which is the position of an object in space. And a lot of times um, that's what telescopes require, and this app, Sky Safari Plus, can give you that. I remember seeing that's growing on the International Space Station. There's astronauts that are there. Um, I remember I got to share the stage with Bill Nye, which was really cool right here when I was an ambassador. Just overall, really great experience. Um, but, you know, you don't need to throw a party that big if you don't want. But if you throw your own parties, maybe a space history uh, fact at why, what space objects are named, where they get their names from. We covered constellations and comets, but by the time we get to things like moons and planets, it's going to get really interesting because we're going to get into mythology and not just Greek, but also this is actually Renaissance. Uh, oh, this is actually, they appear in a Midsummer's Night Dream. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, in line. So for example, if we have Jupiter is in conjunct, super conjunction, then that means it's on the opposite side of the sun than Earth. And Jupiter, the sun, and Earth are all in a line from our perspective. And so <clears throat> that being said, we've got your week would be really cool for you because uh, that always is a really fun thing. So for this week in space history, on January 11th in year 1787 was the discovery of two moons of Uranus, known as Titania, Titania, took me a second to say that, Titania, I kept wanting to say Titan, Titania and Oberon, which by the way, when I was typing this in earlier to actually get an image of them, um, do it again, Oberon, 
what of course came up as you sphere i'll tell you how you could see it first i'm curious if you're in the northern hemisphere can you just send me an emoji in the bottom right of your screen whichever emoji works uh that would be great maybe a, a rocket just got a rocket ship i got a thumbs up awesome another rocket ship woohoo all right northern hemisphere friends it starts the ritual is um some i think it i think it, this has to be greek greek mythology and now it actually says scottish artist but yeah there's always some type of mythological story behind the names of these planets and and moons which is always like so funny uh to give a little bit of kind of a a future look some conjunction happening this week so for our musty celestial events this week they are dated from january 9th to the 16th so all this week and the first thing you have is January 11th. The first quarter moon passes by planet Uranus. It's about 2.5 degrees south of the planet. And this is at about 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You're going to be wanting to face your southeast horizon. If you got my email this morning, I put facing and then I forgot to write southeast horizon they just put period so um, if you're listening to this awesome is which planet in the solar system has the most moons just a fun little question um, and then just think about it you don't need to join the call now i actually don't think i opened it up just yet but just think about that don't google it do not google it think about it um, okay so that was the discovery it was by william herschel a uh, really incredible astronomer um comet but only between latitudes of 55 degrees north and 84 degrees south. If you don't know your longitude and latitude, latitude, I recommend this specific website that I not only sent in my weekly transmission, but I will also mention it again on this podcast. I mentioned it once before. It's called, it's already going to be about 45 degrees in the sky. And then its highest point is going to be 85 degrees. That's almost in the zenith. It's almost directly overhead and 90 degrees above the horizon, which is directly overhead of the observer, which is known as the zenith. It's at 20.52, which is about 8.52 p.m., at about 18 degrees above your southeastern horizon. So if you want to, you know, try and view it at this time, um, it might be a little tough to see. It's pretty low on your horizon at this point. So if you have any buildings or trees in the way, it might be tough to see. To your friends, it's no further north than 32 degrees latitude, north latitude, sorry, north. Um, and it's at a magnitude of 2.8. So it would actually be a little bit easier to see as far as brightness goes, uh, but it just kind of depends on where you're located. So again, go ahead and just put it. Let's jump back into what we got to look forward to this week. So if you um, ever throw a space party, uh, you could probably see this from would be uh, a space telescope. Then we have another conjunction, and this is Pluto. Pluto is in conjunction with the sun at about 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on January 16th. So those are our musty celestial and a conjunction you might have heard about before, such as Jupiter is in conjunction with Earth, or you have a conjunction of several planets. 
is an, an apparent alignment. So apparent meaning what we see visually. It doesn't always mean that it's perfectly lined up in space. It just means from our perspective, from the southern hemisphere. Okay, no emojis, but I'll go over it anyway. It'll start rising at about 10.03 p.m., already rising pretty high, about 38 degrees above your eastern horizon. So southern hemisphere friends, you have a better view of M47. It's going to then reach its highest point of a, and that's going to be at about 1.41 a.m. over your southern horizon. So two really incredible things that you can catch this week for deep sky objects. Um, I bet they're just absolutely stunning. I'm looking at two pictures of them right now. One of them kind of looks like a smiley face, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and galaxies and nebulae, but it also includes clusters, star clusters, both globular and open. And an open star cluster, if you remember us talking about this before, tend to consist of younger stars and it tends to consist of less stars. So rather than thousands or hundreds of thousands, you have this perfectly in line with the sun. And that's happening on January 11th at about 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, if you're going to view that, um, what you can always just do is use an H-alpha filter on your telescope. Um, so if you are going to be using a scope, uh, otherwise, yeah, you, the most in your hand, your fist distance is about 10 degrees. And so if you hold that up across the sky, you'll be able to measure at arm's length of an average human adult arm, average human adult fist. I know we all range, um, but plus or minus a couple inches. That's about whopping 71 degrees above your northern horizon at about 1.40 a.m. So as I always like to say, staying up later, better, because it's higher in the sky. Then moving into January 17th, we have another uh, cluster. All right, we're going to do a quick music break, and then we are going to get into space history. Okay, really awesome. Um, it says Titania is a very proud creature uh, and as much as a force to contend with her husband, Oberon. Ah, oh, so their husband and wife. Cool. So those are the uh, names of the two moons that were first discovered of Uranus. Now, Uranus actually has 27 known moons. Uh, these outer planets tend to have a lot of moons. Um, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to open it to the chat or open it to uh, my listeners by the end of today's call. If you know the answer, that'd be really cool. I won't give any prize, but um, but we'll all get excited. My question, geodatos.net. So that's geo as in uh, geography as in the earth, G-E-O, and then datos, D-A-T-O-S dot net. And if you go to that website, you can find out what your longitude and latitude is. That'd be very helpful for not only stargazing, but also when listening to Space Talk. It's visible in the constellation Pupus. <laughs> pupus, Pupus, whatever. We just know what it means and uh, don't need to repeat that again. It's known as NGC 2451. And it's also visible in the North and Southern Hemisphere. But this one, it's a little bit more difficult for my Northern Hemisphere. You now got that. If you receive that weekly transmission today, face your Southeast horizon. If you forget, 
just look it up. Um, look up the direction of the first quarter moon at about 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The way you could do that is by using some of my favorite star map apps. So you can either, I, I couldn't believe this when I read it, um, but it's also considered the poop deck. Um, it was originally part of an overlarge constellation known as Argo Novus, which centuries after its initial description was divided into three parts, the other two being Carina and Vela. Poopus is the largest of the three L-A-B-E. Um, I did make a YouTube video once on how to build an astrolabe. I believe I also posted it in on my on my Instagram page. I'll reshare that to my Instagram story. So if you're not following me, uh, my Instagram account is AstroAthens, and I will share that video today in my Instagram story so you can look out for that because I talk about longitude and latitude a lot. Now this uh, open star cluster is at a magnitude of 4.5. And it's in the constellation of Poopis. <laughs> Such a crazy name. I actually looked up that constellation because I was not familiar with it. And um, go to skyandtelescope.org and generate your own sky chart. Or you can download SkyGuide. It's a really simple app. Very great for uh, like beginners, for newbies who are doing stargazing. Um, also really good for the, for the experts as well. But if you want something a little bit more fancy, um, otherwise, if you have them already or a telescope, awesome, you're doing good. So first off, hope you're all doing well. Um, I hope that this finds you well, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening by you. I hope, and if, you're, if it's evening, I hope you get to go out tonight and catch some cool things in the night sky. So we're getting events. Um, temporarily, we have a few more things like deep sky objects, and we also have our astronomy word of the week. So let's move into those deep sky objects. So first is January 15th. You have an open star cluster known as M40. Um, other than, by the way, if you don't know what Yuri's night is, oh my goodness, uh, I really hope that it's happening in person this year because I, I personally would love to go to it again. Um, I think the big, big one is in California. It's the one I've been to, and also Kennedy Space Center uh, down in Florida. Uh, but the one in California, go ahead and jump into things that we have to look forward to this week. And I'm going to start with the astronomy word of the week. And the reason for that is because uh, what this word is, is actually happening this week for some must celestial events. So the astronomy word of the week is conjunction. M at 18 degrees above your southern horizon. So not that much higher, only a few degrees. And um, it's only visible for a couple of hours and then eventually it fades or it sinks below the horizon. But the southern hemisphere, oh boy, you guys can really see this cloud. And the other one, you could sort of catch like this huge thing of interstellar dust that's glowing red, and I'm pretty sure glowing red is either a combination of hydrogen and nitrogen um, or helium. I think it's hydrogen and nitrogen. I'm pretty sure helium glows kind of a greenish, bluish color. Before, conjunction can happen not just with planets, but with celestial objects, so different types of bodies in our solar system. And conjunction is that apparent alignment uh, from our perspective of Earth. So you have a perspective from us that this asteroid is, as I always like to say, if you could stay up later, 
do it because it's going to reach its highest point at about 12.31 a.m. And it'll be 41 degrees above your southern horizon. So 41 degrees, a lot easier to see. Um, if you don't remember, we talked about sort of the way to measure degrees using constellations in square degrees. So poopus or poop deck, a uh, little joke, joke of the day. I'm just pooping the sky. Okay, let's uh, move on. So because it's a 4.5 magnitude, you'll need a telescope to see it. Um, I highly recommend using that, or you can even use a pair of binoculars. I've mentioned the magnet if you want to try to build your own astrolabe. It can be really helpful, and you just need a few tools like paper, pencil, and a piece of string. Anyone who is in the Southern Hemisphere, let me know. Uh, send an emoji below, then uh, I'll still go over the Southern Hemisphere anyway, but at least it'll be helpful to know if anyone listening is seven. If you remember, we did an episode on Charles Messier a few, uh, few episodes ago. He was our historical figure of last week. And so every time we have the letter M in front of a number, that is typically an object that is part of the Messier catalog. And this includes like not just perspective on Earth, an apparent alignment or meeting of planets or other celestial bodies as seen from Earth. Superior conjunction is when Earth and another celestial body are on opposite sides of the sun. But all three are Hunter and he discovered uh, the first two moons of Uranus. Oberon and Titania. They are the largest moons of Uranus, by the way. Okay, moving into January 13th, 1933. This is a quote. The next three, uh, I actually quoted direct, maybe only a dozen. Maybe most would be capping at about 50 to 80, but typically around a dozen. And they're usually young, hot blue stars. So this is going to be a really, really pretty cluster to see. So M47 is visible both in the North and Southern Hemisphere. Vacation before, maybe getting a 10 by 50 pair of binoculars would be good. Um, 50 is that uh, size of the lens, the diameter of the lens, and 50 is the magnification, sorry, 10 is the magnification. So you really only need a 10 magnification to see this. If you are in the Northern Hemisphere, is underneath the spatial endeavor, and just imagine Oh, everyone dressing up all spacey and you're having a huge party under the space shuttle where there's like a ton of cool like stuff there, exhibits where people are bringing in like science and research that's being done in space. Uh, like there's stuff about 10 degrees in the night sky. And so if you want to try and go up, you can always just hold your fist out and move your way up three or four, sorry, four fist heights. Another tip is uh, maybe building an, a DIY astrolabe or astrolab. I think it's lab because it has the E at the end. It's A-S-T-R-O, from NASA's website. So I was uh, doing a little bit of extra searching of some space history. Thought this was really cool. So January 13th, 1993, NASA launched Space Shuttle Endeavor to begin the six-day STS-54 mission. Uh, if you don't know about the STS missions, um, just look it up. It's part of the space station, maybe your city, into geodatos.net, and you can find out what your longitude and latitude is. The North Hemisphere rises at about 11.09 p.m. at 15 degrees above your southern horizon. And then it's going to reach its highest point in the sky at about 12.32 a.m. program 
And so you'll often see this acronym SDS-SUM number. Those are all the different classifications of the missions during the space shuttle program. The primary goal of this mission was to deploy the fifth tracking and data relay satellite, which is used for space communication. Endeavor also carried several microgravity science experiments and a hitchhiker experiment called the Diffuse X-ray Spectrometer. So if you wanted to look that up on your own, be my guest. It would be really cool. Um, also knowing that uh, fun fact is really exciting, especially thinking about that huge Yuri's Night Party that goes on April 12th in California underneath the Space Shuttle Endeavor, the California Science Center. All right, moving into January 13th in 1908, Henry Farman, who was a French aviator, he became the first person to fly a one kilometer fly one kilometer in a circle, which earned him the 500,000 Frank Dutch Archdeacon Prize, Archdeacon, Archdeacon Prize. Uh, And the thing is, at this time, uh, planes were only flying about 30 to 40 miles per hour. And so this was a pretty monumental thing. He flew one kilometer in a circle. I guess that's uh, I can only I can only kind of picture what this is like. Um, if you want to see what the images look looks like, just type in uh, French aviator Henry with an I Farman. Uh, and it just blows my mind to think about these aircraft, the early development of them. <laughs> it really just looks like pieces of cloth attached to uh, like sticks. I'm pretty sure it's it's metal poles, but uh, but still, it's really incredible. Um, to think about how, yeah, just people went into these really sort of just kind of like very fragile looking rinky dinky things and they flew with it. And now to think of what we have, uh, like the Boeing 747 aircraft and all these incredible military planes, it's, we really came a long way. It's pretty cool. Then on January 16th in 2003, was NASA's um, launch of the Space Shuttle Columbia, uh, which was a shirt gun, when you go to a baseball game. And they would fill this giant t-shirt gun with uh, foam, similar to what is usually uh, the insulation around the uh, external boosters or the external tanks, the fuel tanks. And when those deploy, sometimes pieces break off. And unfortunately, what they think is probably what happened, orange things that are stepped, trapped, just stepped, <laughs> strapped to the side. That is uh, the extra rocket fuel, basically to provide lift for it to get off the ground. Um, but Columbia, what ended up happening, uh, and I learned this while I was working at the space, that the Intrepid in New York City uh, with the space shuttle Enterprise, which was the prototype, never flew to space. They ended up undergoing tests on it. They uh, relined its wings with a bunch of carbon fiber panels which is what the space shuttle had at the time. And they basically took a giant, (laughs) the way I used to describe this as a volunteer to people uh, that would come by at the museum is imagine a giant teacher ended up, you know, and ending in a pretty, pretty horrible disaster, but they did end up doing a 16 day research mission. So difference between Columbia and Challenger, Challenger is what blew up upon liftoff. Um, this was, I believe, because of uh, something called an O-ring, which was part of its external booster, the two end, is a piece broke off and had enough force to cause a minor hole in one of the areas of the space shuttle. And when it went to space, it was it was fine. It's in the vacuum of space, um, ended up being okay. And um, they didn't really know about this hole. It's a really, really tiny hole. 
But what happened was upon reentry, because of all of like the harsh elements in our atmosphere, and because when it reenters the atmosphere, it's undergoing so much heat and so much pressure at once, it causes. I don't know if you ever heard about this. I think the seven minutes of darkness. I believe it's seven minutes. We're basically they're they're labeled as Group Twenty Three. So,、um, yep, Group Twenty Three. Awesome. So now this was only the eighth class, and、um, the class consisted of thirty-five、uh, people, thirty-five astronaut candidates, including six women, such as Anna Fisher, Shannon. They all communications are like blackout between Mission Control and the space shuttle,、um, or any spacecraft really, when it's re-entering or its atmosphere, and that's just because it's it. Be, it ends up being engulfed in this like cone of plasma that it's throwing off、um, any type of signal. There's no type of electromagnetic signal can get through. No radio wave. And this is January sixteenth, in year nineteen seventy eight. NASA introduced its first female astronauts. First ever. First ever female astronauts,、um, and it was named the eighth class. This was only the eighth class of astronaut candidates. I think the most recent class to start to come off, and this is what then led to them、um, completely redoing the whole thermal protection system and structure and the exterior of the space shuttles,、um, and then making the endeavor a lot better, the discovery a lot better, and so on and so forth. So that was a little bit of digression, but to、um, get back. All right. Okay. So, well, thank you all so much for joining today.、Um, again, nothing. And so,、um, during this time, it's totally silent. But what ended up happening was because it's undergoing so much heat and so much pressure, it caused the hole to start to get larger and larger and larger, and pieces of the shuttle started to come apart. And that's when it it ended up exploding and resulting in.、Um, I just opened up the call to everyone. If anyone wants to join, all right. Looks like we've got a call. Back to I'm going to read this quote from NASA.、Um, so January sixteenth, two thousand three.、Uh, this during the sixteen day mission, the crew performed several experiments and sent much of their data to the ground. By downlink, during reentry February first, the shuttle and crew lost over Texas just 16 minutes before their scheduled landing at Kennedy Space. Of astronaut candidates was way more than that.、Um, actually, let me look it up real quick. Twenty twenty-one NASA astronaut class. Let's see,、uh, Group Twenty-Three. Okay, so I believe this would be the the twenty-third class. That's that's what Lucid, Judith Resnick. Sally Ride, Raish Seddon, and Catherine Sullivan. All six eventually flew on the space shuttle, a、uh, different space shuttles, and Shannon Lucid set an endurance record for American astronauts with a six-month stay on Russia's Mir space station. So pretty cool.、Um, I'll be announcing some new podcasts very soon, so just keep those alerts on. And、um, yeah, until next time, add Astra.
think they had it at Kennedy Space Center during the testing. Um, but they were doing a bunch of um, stress tests on it, and they realized, oh my goodness, like this is probably what happened. This is definitely what happened with Columbia because it was enough as they kept shooting pieces of foam at it, and more air and more pressure and more heat caused more and more of the panels. Where you can tap something that says "Join Call," um, and you can do that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just put that music on again for just a few more moments. Moments, and uh, if you want to join, you can do that. Otherwise. Um, otherwise, we'll be done here. So yeah, let's get that music going. If you think you have the answer to that question I asked earlier, which planet has the most moons? Don't Google it. Uh, then you can join the call, and that'll be after this music break. Obviously, becoming totally destroyed. Uh, so really, uh, and, and they didn't really know what was going on, by the way. Uh, like, they weren't really sure what caused it. And it wasn't until they ran all of these, like, stress tests on the prototype, the Enterprise, which is in New York City. Um, it wasn't at the time. They had okay. Take next color. Mario, you are live. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Uh, just, you know, Living life, yeah. You know. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, to answer the question you posed, I believe it is Saturn. Moon's Jupiter has? Also a lot. That, that's, yeah. That's the best one I can give, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, you're correct. Uh, it is Saturn. It was recently announced in the news. I think it was in 2018, maybe, or 2019. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and that number is 82. 82 moons. Nice. So it did surpass Jupiter. Jupiter, um, I think... Uh, yeah, I hope that you enjoyed each of these. If it's any of your birthdays, let me know. Um, that'd be really cool. I always love to hear about people who share a birthday with any of these space history events or facts. I think that um, it always makes it a little bit special. Uh, so for our final thing... Will that matter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like the way we think of ring as one, you know, continuous object. Yeah. I don't know if... I don't know if they're, I know, I don't know if what you're going for that they're coalescing into moons. I don't know if that's going for. Yeah, so. that's, oh, really? that's what's happening. So there are these little things called moonlets. M-O-O uh, to include for this week is just our moon phase. So the first quarter moon was yesterday on January 9th at about 1.11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So first quarter moon, and we are now moving into a waxing gibbous so uh waxing gibbous uh, really the the moon uh, oh that's yeah. awesome that's yeah. so cool to hear um i have one more question for you um what do you know about saturn's rings oh i that they look really cool do you know what they're made of uh well i know they're not like actually like rings the way we think about it they're just made of like a bunch of you know like a bunch of particular center so uh, you know, the, the good news is they were able to still do this mission. SDS-107 is the mission, um, but, you know, of course, bad news didn't survive. So sending lots of love to the families um, and, of course, the astronauts. Uh, rest in peace. We have one more space history to last quarter and then Crescent. So kind of a little, little fun way to remember those. Um, but that's everything that I've got for this week. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a quick music break. I'm going to open this call to anyone who wants to join. 
And it- if, I don't know much about these moons. I don't know if they're like they were formed or if they were captured asteroids. Um, Ooh, that's a good thought. So, what would call, what would you think about captured asteroids? Does does that tend to happen a lot with moons? Uh, well, I mean, does that how- is that where moons come from? There yeah, was, um, it's still at 79 moons, but it was the one in our solar system that had the most. And astronomers recently discovered more moons around Saturn. Uh, I'm curious, Mario, if you just want to put on like your thinking cap and explore a little bit, why do you think it is that uh, Saturn has more moons forming around it right now? Are they forming thing right there? Um, again, if you're having any space parties, Maybe, you know, put these on a flashcard. That might be really fun. Oh, that's a really good idea. Okay, if uh, flashcards of space history things don't exist, I'm going to make them. Um, and and maybe I'll sell them on astronauts.com. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, so that, that would be a really cool thing. I know how that, I know that's how Mars got its moons. It's, yeah? Uh, so. That's really cool. Okay. I don't, I don't know yet. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, I, I don't really know the details yet. Oh, and I promise you, I, I didn't Google it. I remember this because you actually covered this on your Instagram around around that time. Oh, or did we just discover them and maybe you didn't see them before? Uh, well, I believe that. Well, um, actually, an early thought. That, well, I know it's a fairly large planet. Gas giants are fairly large, so it has a yeah. strong gravitational pull. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh. I don't know. I hope you get to go out and check out the night sky. I hope you get to maybe catch those open star clusters, run out, get some binoculars. Um, Really just if you have a clear sky, look up and appreciate our um, our neighbors, I would say, our celestial neighbors, whether it's the moon or it's it's a fairly, Mm -hmm. yeah, I believe it was like a recent thing where they recently discovered a new batch of moon, which made it overtake Jupiter. So yeah previously the, no, the number one contender for most moons yeah. do you do you happen to know how many moons oh that i i don't know off the top of my head do you yeah. know jupiter how many phases i tend to include our first quarter last quarter new and full just those four um but in case you're wondering waxing gibbous it's currently growing and it's moving into the full moon phase so that's first quarter. And then waning gibbous will be when it's starting to wane or whine and it's starting to get smaller and shrink and does have a pretty strong gravity, yeah, even though it's pretty low density or really, really light can float on water. Um, but the moon might still be able to, to be bound by Saturn's gravitational field and eventually can become orbit orbiting around Saturn, hence becoming one of Saturn's new moons. So this is one of the theories right now, astronomers. And L-E-T-S or T-T-S. It's either one T or two. And moonlets. This is this was also recently discovered. But within the rings of Saturn, which is made up of all of these icy particles, really icy, rocky particles, they're starting to collide. And like you said, coalesce into like those dust bunnies in our room that I tend to mention a lot. Have, is that that could be what's causing... Um, maybe more moons to appear and is is this something that happens also with the ice giants maybe uh, uranus has rings i believe neptune has really thin rings um but that's Jupiter cool really thin rings really thin ring as well mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah. So uh, that's awesome. It's a star that's light years away. The fact that we get to see it, it probably can see us too. Um, and so that's, that's a little bit of my insight for today. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your Monday, rest of your week. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to be catching, uh, covering launches um, in another day or two. And then and they're starting to form baby moons. And so if it's possible, yeah, maybe sometimes if they become large enough, they can collide with another object and get flung off out of the, the, the rings of Saturn, but stay still gravitationally bound to Saturn. As you mentioned, Saturn is really large. Um, th- no, I, you know, I can't really think of anything right now. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, Mario, thank you so much for for calling in. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. It's it's my pleasure, too. Awesome. All righty. Thank you. So if anyone else wants to join, um, you can go ahead and just uh, in the bottom right of your screen, I believe, is where I'm glad you you called it with the right answer. That's awesome. Um, And do you have any like uh, uh, like this? So with space history do you have any coincidental uh dates that happen to line up with any of the space history things we mentioned oh uh well i mean 